One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, Arsenal extend their lead at the top of the Premier League, coming from behind to beat Aston Villa in a thriller. What did it mean psychologically in that title race, especially after Manchester City surprisingly dropped points away to Nottingham Forest? We'll react to what's going on in terms of City's transition. Chelsea's poor form under Graham Potter continued. It's now two wins in their last 14 in all competitions. Can he survive this period? We'll also examine the bottom of the table with big wins for Everton and Bournemouth and what's going on at West Ham United. We'll also look at Nick Pope and Marcus Rashford. This is the game. Hello again. Welcome back to the game podcast. I'm Hugh Wizencroft alongside Tony Cascarino, Tom Clark, and Gregor Robertson to dissect another busy weekend of Premier League action. We'll start at the top. Seems to be the way at the moment. Everyone focusing on that title race and it was a massive weekend for Arsenal they needed to get something well they needed the win really didn't they against Aston Villa to make sure they got back on track after defeat to Manchester City in midweek they scored twice in stoppage time they won a six goal thriller at Aston Villa and returned to the top of the Premier League seen as a psychological must win it ended a run of three games without victory and as I say, took them back above Manchester City. Uh, Villa twice led in this game, Tony. Um, but I, so I think a lot of the reflection was on the, the character that Arsenal showed in this match. Um, a couple of interesting stats. Arsenal winning a Premier League game away from home after trailing at half-time for the first time since 2009, December 2009. And Villa, of course, have conceded four at home in consecutive matches. Um, the first time they've done that, since the 1935-36 season in the top flight. So, bad news for them. Anyway, we'll come to Villa in a I bit. I wasn't there, Hugh. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you're teeing up. <laughs> no, I, listen, I want to talk to you about the character of Arsenal. I think that's what we have to focus in on most um, seriously because they've sent a message here to everyone that they're, they're not going to crumble. You know, and I think in midweek, that was the reflection. Arsenal could break. Well, they're not broken. I, I, I don't think you could describe that game, dissect it and say they um, they didn't crumble because that was a game clearly that it was all over the place. You know, if you think of the way they won it and, you know, Jorginho's goal off the, off the bar and hits Martinez on the back of his head and goes in, it was helter-skelter. Um, they looked edgy. Um, I don't question their character because I think we've seen nearly all season they've been terrific Arsenal. That's what's got them to the top of the league. But they must have been very nervy. And I thought that showed on Saturday. Villa had their chances. 
Now, that game could have gone either way. Um, with that, Unai Emery would be really frustrated. You know, they, they, Villa as a team have got dangerous weapons. I mean, I, I was funny enough, I was looking after, after the game about Ollie Watkins and he never gets two in a game. You have to go back a long time for him to get two in the game and yet it keeps, his number's always one. And, and Villa, Villa showed a lot of character themselves in this particular match. I don't think Arsenal can go that way toe-to-toe with teams. I don't think it's a good idea for them. I think Shinchenko's role, as brilliant as he is on the ball and drifting into midfield, creates a problem. I know Martinelli didn't play there at the start because he'd been left out in recent games, but I thought Trossard found it very difficult because Shinchenko leaves a massive space which gets exposed at times. They exploit, the opposition exploit what they do. I think this one of them results, you come away and you think, we so needed that result. We got three points today and the character won't be questioned. It was more to me, it, it was a little bit fortunate in many, many ways they got three points on Saturday. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I don't know. I think it was more of a mentality change, you know. I mean, they they needed the three points. They came through it. That is all that really mattered. But I do think over this little period where they haven't played that well, the mentality change has gone from you know, feeling like we're better than the opposition and we can just go out there and outplay them to kind of switching to we're going to have to fight our way through this if we're going to win the title as well. There's going to be not just the odd week where we're battling to victories. There could well be a lot of them. And I, and they've got to enjoy that aspect of winning matches as much as playing beautiful football. And again, it's not just the, the players. Maybe Arteta's thinking is switching slightly as well. Teams are raising their game to play against Arsenal, aren't they? That's that's part mm. of what's happening. You know, Everton put in their best performance of the season to beat them. Yes, it had the new manager bounce effect. And as Tony said, Villa was superb. Villa were excellent in that first half. But I think the point you're get, getting at, Hugh, which I think is the right one, is that we saw in the second half, Arsenal then went up themselves. In the first half, I agree with you, there was a little bit of the... I felt with the goal, Watkins' goal, which was a brilliant goal, I felt. Mm. I was, you know, wow, you'd see a top striker score that. But Saliba, mm. Gregor, I don't know whether you'd agree with me, like he was just a bit off. He yeah. was like a bit standoffish. And and they said it on Match of the Day, didn't they? And that, to me, smacks off what you're saying, Hugh, of, you know, we don't need to be at the top level. We are the top team. And you just drop your standards a little bit. But then in the second half, they did. They lifted it through Odegaard, who I thought was fantastic in the second half. And and they came again. And that that is where I think you're right, Hugh, that mentality-wise... To go in at half time behind to come out and win and having lifted your game, that is a lesson as well going forward, right? Because they flew out of the traps. They were the team leading. You know, this time last week we were talking about the analogy of being out in front and not being caught. Well, now they were caught and they've responded. So now they've got that in them as well, right, Tom? Because that, that's a big part of any, any any team that's successful. You can either go out in front and stay in front or you can be pegged back. And now they've shown that they've got, they've got that in them as well. I personally think that if you're going to look at games going on from here during the course from now to the end of the season if you're going to end up toe to toe with teams you're going to come out with a bloody nose at times and I don't think they they have to be more solid defensively and we talk you know Saliba of course he hasn't got close enough but there were many concerns and I'm not testing I'm not questioning their character because I think you know to be top of the league you've got to have a great mentality within the football club but i did think it was a little bit fortunate how they've got out of it now you could make a point we could all make a point look many teams have won the premier league have done these amazing feats and turnarounds and that's the big thing but don't kid yourself if you think week in week out from here to the end of the season if you're going to be in these type of games you're going to get a bloody nose from it every now and again 
I do think Arsenal created the pressure that led to them winning the game, though. Yeah. And we've seen it before with, with um, teams that have won titles. You know, you have the fans screaming about how they always get penalties and this, that and the other. Yeah, and they get a bit of luck in front of goal, maybe a ricochet or a deflection. You think, yeah, but they're the team that had 25 shots. Yeah, one of them got deflected and went in the top corner, but they were the team applying pressure. Or they're the team that always gets penalties. Yeah, but their players always have the the, the, the ball at their feet when they're in the penalty box, so they end up being fouled more often. Like, I do believe yeah. that Arsenal, although the two goals, two winning goals, if you like, at the end of the game were maybe slightly fortuitous, silly, stupid, if you like, from Emi Martinez, according to his manager anyway, but... I do think Arsenal were creating the force of pressure that led to their victory. It just didn't, like in reference to what the guys are saying, it's almost like it was better for Arsenal to be behind at the break. Because I've said, you know, Alisson yeah. scorned me for this, it's the easiest way to, pl- to play. You come out in the second half, they've got nothing to lose. They've got to go for it. Yeah. And you saw that. And as you, and then when they, once the equaliser came, the momentum grew. And you've got to say Odegaard's miss. You thought, oh yeah. my God. Mm. Um, and then, yeah. So the, the character's the go-to re- you know, reference word that everyone goes to after this one. And the character was in the performance, not actually in the result. The result was the most important thing because we, we knew that that would lift the pressure after after losing uh, in the last couple of weeks. So the the result was the most important thing, but you saw character in the way that they responded in the second half and built the momentum and built the momentum. And they kind of got, a, you know, they, clearly it was an enormous piece of luck at the end. It wasn't Tottenham away. You know when they won at Tottenham a few weeks back? The performance of that day by Arsenal, that's a title-winning team to me. That performance on that day, how they played, didn't give Tottenham a sniff. It was really, really... That was, to me, the sort of performance that will get you over the line. On Saturday, that wasn't. And you, we can all... And I'd look, give them great credit for the way they got about it, and they did get, get that bit of luck. But I don't believe you can go through the the season from now to the end, week by week... In these type of scenarios, I said on Thursday they were seeing the odd crack in in defence actually mm. recently. Ben White as well got done for the second goal in behind. He kind of went to gamble yeah. to go out to the winger, and Saliba just stepped off. He didn't, as Tom said, just didn't show enough, didn't didn't usher him enough down the line or give him enough pressure. And yeah. Watkins did well, but so I just there's been little cracks, and once you go behind, then it changes the it changes the nature of the game absolutely. Uh, I, I think we're being harsh on Arsenal, aren't we? They scored four goals away <laughs> from home under immense pressure, you know, given what happened in midweek. They needed to respond. If they get a draw in that game, you know, granted, Manchester City played afterwards and we'll talk about what happened in their game. But, you know, it, the, I think the mentality is so important during this, I say, middle phase of the season, but maybe the third quarter of the season, if you like. Um, you need to tee yourself up for that title victory. You need to be there when you get into the home straight. And it is all about results during this point in time. And that's what I mean. Fighting for victories, as opposed to playing teams off the park, is as important. Like, I just, you know, and, and also, it doesn't seem to be one of those seasons. We've got maybe used to Manchester City and Liverpool needing to be at that level, that high level, to win a title. And maybe this season you don't. Maybe this season you can have dodgy victories if you like not play your best and have plenty of them and still win the title well the points on the board suggest it's not a dodgy season doesn't it I mean in terms of what they've amassed so mm. far but I, and I'm I'm completely with you Hugh I, I, you know big big uh, Mikel Arteta fan Tony you were the you were the leader of the Mikel Arteta fan club right yeah. at the start and but I think I, the reason uh, I was grinning at you there Hugh as you were making that point about being harsh about Arsenal is at least we're being kind of constructive some of the Arsenal fans 
at half time I was following the game on kind of social media as well and oh my goodness me we have quite rightly praised a lot of the Arsenal fans in the Emirates this season for getting behind the team some of them out there absolutely lost the plot there's so much revisionism going on and Ketty is useless he can't score what about when he did score against Man United and gave you that massive win you know, oh my God, Jorginho's useless, blah, blah, blah. We need another defender. Saliba's lost it. I'm like, oh my God. Arsenal, sane Arsenal fans out there, please rise up. Please be the voice of reason and kind of, you know. Some they're of getting these... tense, man. They're getting t- they're, things yeah. are getting tense. You know, you this, say this, things this, in the heat of the moment. I mean, we've all been there. We're that all we regret. Okay. Uh, listen, I'm, uh, listen, we're all idiots. All football fans are idiots, ultimately, aren't we? That's 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 the point. But... Me and Greg are both happy we are not playing anymore. <laughs> we, Greg, imagine what we're getting. Do you know what's, uh, what struck me about the, uh, the performance and, and afterwards, and obviously the City result followed up with a draw at Forest, was... The feeling of coming in today training on Monday morning, knowing that that defeat that you had against Man City was pretty much nearly wiped away, that mm. they've, they've got a result and City had dropped points. And, and the spring in your step from coming in and you've had something go your way when everyone had given, including myself, that City are going to go to Forest and win. Mm. And they haven't. And then they've turned a the game around. You know, when they were 2-1 down, Arsenal, and it was looked like, that's it. The title's gone. It was like, and you're talking about on being Twitter and all, literally for a period of time. Is this is ended? Their season's finished. Yeah, someone said they're not even going to make top four. <laughs> Someone's like, here we go. They've lost the plot. Europa League again. I'm thinking, oh my god. I was absolutely delighted that they won the game you know just what, from that point of view. You know, got a great great comment would have been back. Would have just gone, look, we're safe now. Win the Premier League for next season. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you joke, but it's not far off. But you're right, Tony, and that's what's really fascinating to hear you say about that kind of mentality thing going into training because it's something, Gregor, you talked about around the City game, around how, you know, it had been built up to this kind of, you know, almost like the reverse of a relegation six-pointer and, like, this was where the title will be decided. Whereas you said, right, City might have a blip again. Like, this could go back and forth now. So that's another part of it for Arsenal fans. Isn't that's another part of it for Arsenal players, isn't it, that they now know... Okay, well, we don't need to be this super team yeah. out in front the whole time. Absolutely, and you saw it in their celebrations at the end too. The kind of the lift that was like, mm. as Tony says, it's it's just it changes the dynamic, the atmosphere now for them going forward. And you saw you saw how elated they were to when when Jorginho. But I still I, I can't get beyond it the fact that it hit the back of Martinez's head and and went in. It could have <laughs> been very different. It could have, but it also could have been like an inch lower and bounced over the line. You know, <laughs> you get your luck, you, you know, either way. And ultimately, Emmy Martinez. He's had a good couple of months, and he let's come on. He deserved it. For what, he, <laughs> <laughs> for what he did after that point in time, I'm going to put you two on the spot, to be honest. Um, because Unai Emery came out and essentially said, you know, I never want my goalkeeper going up and actually it was interesting because I took that comment you know uh, okay if you haven't seen it by the way Emmy Martinez went up uh, for a late Aston Villa corner at 3-2 obviously Gabriel Martinelli then scored on the break with no goalkeeper rolled it into the back of the net Um, and afterwards Unai Emery says I never want my goalkeepers to do that and actually I kind of thought it epitomised the reverse in the game in that maybe this squad doesn't quite yet get what Unai Emery wants. I mean, they've conceded four at home, two matches on the spin. That is not an Unai Emery side, traditionally, what we know from his career so far. So that defensive intent, that structure, and that 
work rate defensively that we've seen the sides that go and beat you know against the odds win the Europa League that you know Villarreal in particular you know with with almost very little in ta- attacking intent but certainly defensively just so much structure no space for the opposition to breathe you know that wasn't an Unai Emery side silliness isn't his um, trademark okay it just yeah. isn't right that's not the hallmark of an Unai Emery side um, so I wanted to ask you guys, in your careers, did you ever do something that the man- manager had said explicitly, do not do that? That's all I want to know. If you were told, or one of your teammates was told, not to do something, and then just went completely against it. I know in this case, Emmy Martinez had been told after the game. Una Emery says he now knows, going forward, not to do that. But there must have been a- an instruction maybe someone to mark maybe an area of the pitch that you know you needed to run into whatever it might be and you just didn't do it intentionally or not and what was the manager's reaction okay yeah, come on it must to- have tony's going to well, say how long have you got I know that, you. well yes uh, you should have told me gaffer i shouldn't have gone out the night before a game <laughs> <laughs> do you know joseph Bengloss when we was at aston villa he was doing a talk and we was in hong kong to play a game and um, he was speaking to us, talking about all oh, what's going to happen in the next few days, blah, blah, blah. And we had a, a match um, the next day. And he stopped. And Jim Walker, the physio at the time, whispered into Joseph Wenger's ear, in, into his ear. And, and we was all like looking. And he's got, he looked to him to say, do I have to tell them that? And he said, yes. And he said, oh, uh, Jim, the physio, says that you mustn't go out tonight as the team. <laughs> You must stay in. We've got a game tomorrow. And and we all laughed. What happened? Everyone went out. <laughs> was it a pre-season pre- pre- game? No, it was during the season when we went to a break. We had like oh, a, right. an FA Cup weekend and right. we'd gone away to Hong Kong and we were playing a game. And it wasn't the most serious games, but he did not want us obviously to go out. And literally, I remember being in a nightclub in uh, Joe Bananas in Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, Joe Bananas in Hong Kong. And the whole of the team was in the nightclub. <laughs> and Peter Wiv, who came along... He turned up at the nightclub and was telling everybody, get back to the hotel and not going. No one's going. It's like, Pete, you're wasting your time. Now, that's obviously terrible. That was then and is now. But many a time. Uh, do you know the one thing I'd like to... Do? I would love to have been in that press conference, post-match press conference, and said to Unai Emery, did you tell... Have you previously had that conversation with Martinez that if we're 1-0 behind or we're losing a game, you don't go up for corners? Because that would be my question to him. Yeah. Because... Either there's a lack of communication there for him saying, you know, I don't want my keepers doing that. Well, surely he well, should have been told that before the game. He kind of did allude to the fact, Unai Emery, that I've never explicitly told him that. But he's mm. never never said he's explicitly told them not to. to. Yeah. yeah. That's Tony's point. Yeah, that's yeah. fair enough. Yeah. He knows, and then he said at the end, he knows now. Yeah. yeah. Now he knows. Yeah. <laughs> one, one thing I want to know, because it's a great talking point, and the thing that fascinated me is where Gary Lineker, who's so often just the presenter and very rarely reminds you that actually he was a top-level footballer himself. <laughs> but on Match of the Day, he said that he couldn't agree more with Emery and said, as a, as a forward, it drove him mental whenever a, like a, yeah. a goalkeeper would come into the box. He's like, what are you doing? You're just messing everything up. Like, you're getting in the way. So obviously, that happened I'm, to me I'm, Nancy, I'm sat between a striker and a defender, and That's I want to know. I think that'll divide people down the middle. I yes. don't think everyone would just agree with with that at all. No. I I think it, it it caused chaos. Yeah. So, so you're so if a keeper comes up and you're in defence, exactly, you're I going like off oh, for Christ's sake. I don't like it. You need to find some. It's not you know you get told who you're marking before the game or 
you have zones and then there's a few markers, whatever. Someone, a goalkeeper comes up, who's invariably a big lad. It's chaos. Yeah. So I didn't mm. like that. And the so, thing is, a lot of teams don't mark the keeper, believing that their yeah. obviously yeah. attacking skills are so poor. Yeah. But then you have a six foot three spare player, and obviously for most defenders, that boggles your mind. You know, it just shouldn't happen. Yeah. But that's the idea, isn't it? You know, Hugh, I'm the same as you. I've always thought that it was a good thing. That like Gregor, I've always thought the opinion was it's a good thing. It causes chaos. Maybe something happened. But Tony, it sounds like you're agreeing with Lineker a bit. Well, look, look there's a couple of things. There's, there's an element of, of fans who say, well, look, we're losing the game. So we're trying to get something out of it. And if an extra body comes in and... I mean, I remember playing a game with Nancy, our goalkeeper, Gregory Wimby. He came <laughs> up in the last minute of the game. Great name. Uh, Gregory Wimby, his name <laughs> was. <agree>. And <laughs> I've told him, I've said, get away from me. Don't stand next to me. As I'm being marked. I said, get away from me. And he's literally pulled away. The ball's been pinged up. He said, it's straight in the top corner. <laughs> and it was like, we're all on top of him. And I remember thinking, what a great feeling, like, that, that moment. Because we were losing the game. We were fighting relegation. But there is a... I, I understand. Look, the, the, that goal's embarrassing as well, isn't it? It's yeah. a bit of an embarrassment uh, on my I mean, it's the 98th conceive. minute. No, but yeah. listen, this is very important, OK? It's not a cup game. Cup games, I'm all for it. You're losing by a goal, you're going out anyway, you might as well send the keeper up. But it's the 98th minute. And I don't mind it on the final day of the season. You're about to get relegated or you're about to miss out on the Champions League or whatever it might be and you need a goal, so send the keeper up. But if Villa miss out on Europe by a goal on goal difference, they'll look back at that and think, what on earth were we doing? They were were trying to get an equaliser in the 98th minute. It's it's a corner, you think, this is surely the last chance of the game. Surely it's the also last the moment of the game, the and na- then it doesn't. Then you know someone broke away and they scored. It's irrelevant. Surely it's also the it, it, might, it might be relevant. That's the point I'm making. But the, na- <laughs> <an> equalizer. <laughs> but the nature of the game, you know, it was one of those where it was in a, a crazy back was, and forth, yeah. incredible. And that I think that surely as a yeah. player that, that adds to it as well. You're like, oh, it's been three two. We were two one up. The home crowd's going crazy. I'm going for it. I'm doing it. I'm Plus, going for it. It's great drama for us. Yeah, I mean, great fun. my friend Barry Roach scored a very memorable goal. One of my good friends from Morecambe against Portsmouth uh, in like a League 2 game League 1 game maybe and it's one of the best moments I've ever witnessed he scored like a 90 injury injury time goal and his life transformed for like the next two days Sky Sports he said I remember did an interview with him afterwards and uh, he said Sky Sports turned up and he was like taking his socks off the the radiator that we're drying and stuff just trying to get his house in ship shape he was on you know BBC 5 Live all that so great drama for us as well Tell the truth, Gregor. Have you ever completely ignored the manager's instructions? Oh, many times. Well, one that came to mind was someone, uh, Tony, I know, John Sheridan, who was my manager yes. at Chesterfield. And like, I remember being 1-0 up in a game, and he was just... I, I went on an overlap, I was playing left-back. I know that might seem unrealistic to you, but it's true. And uh, and he's like, told me in no uncertain terms to stay back. And then in like the 90th minute, I did it again. And as I was running forward with the ball, he's screaming at me in my ear, <laughs> Robbo! Robbo! <laughs> and then he's like, and I'm running back, he's like, I thought you were going home. <laughs> but with a few more Fs and blinds in there as well. He was... Uh, Probably the most acerbic manager I've ever come across. Tony will know. Yeah, well, I, I, I had John with um, Adam a lot of times in Republic of Ireland, and he was no nonsense oh in an God. unbelievable level, um, and very dry and very witty. Yeah. And didn't have much time, Gregor, did he, for players uh, that he didn't really fancy too much? Yeah, or doing what he told him not to. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, it happens, doesn't it? It happens. I mean, maybe not in Joe Bananas for me and you, Tom, but <laughs> who knows what we're going to do this summer on holiday. Anyway, um, the top of the table now looks slightly different to midweek, where Manchester City were, of course, of course top. Um, City now two points behind Arsenal. Arsenal have a game in hand. That is after City missed the chance to build on the victory in midweek. In the words of their defender, Carl Walker, it was two points dropped. Uh, and unacceptable, he said. That's after a late Chris Wood equaliser meant it ended Nottingham Forest 1, City 1. 23 shots for Manchester City. Some incredible chances in this game, you've got to say. They had a two on the goalkeeper, which they didn't convert. Um, Imerick Laporte's header straight at the goalkeeper from a set piece. Erling Haaland hit the crossbar, skied the rebound as well. They had a great chance. A header from Rodri as well. I mean and others. Great goal from Bernardo Silva to put them in front. Chris Wood with a well-worked equaliser at the back post for uh, Forrest. Um, but a- again, Tony, you were left feeling that Manchester City are not going to build the consistency that they need to win the Premier League title. I'm sorry, I, I know they should have won the game, but they should win pretty much every game on the balance of, you know, they make chances. Mm. There's just something, I you can't put my finger on it, there's something missing in this city team, well, it was for me the biggest surprise, or the biggest surprise of um, the weekend, as in the result. And now you could say, well, hold it, Chelsea got beat at home by Southampton, and, and other games, Bournemouth, you know, are winning away um, like they did as well. So I couldn't believe that Forest had pegged City back, because when are you ever going to see Erlen Haaland miss a chance like he did? You know, and you mentioned other chances in the game. City will normally just blow teams away. It could have easily been a four and a five uh, for them on the weekend. This City isn't quite the same, Hugh, and it is really hard to... It's quite complex with City how they're not quite as good as a team. Um, and, you know, I can't buy into Hurland Ireland has changed the dynamics of this City team because... His goals have just been extraordinary. How many he's got, and but he just... has changed the dynamic to it's a just degree. Not, it's just not necessarily as negative no, as Hugh, people are making City out. City don't defend as well. I mean, apart from the goals, not their missing chances. City are not quite as good defensively. But I, 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 listen, let me take you up on that because City used to get exposed on the counter attack quite often. However, you would only really have one or two of those opportunities per match because they kept the ball so well. Mm. The problem is now that people are having four, five, six of those counter-attacking opportunities. We know that they were famous for the tactical foul, Manchester City, Mm. because of that weakness on the counter-attack that basically Pep said, take a yellow. Fernandinho, take a yellow. You know, Rodri, take a yellow and it's fine. Then we'll get everyone back and we'll defend the the set piece into the box. But they, they, they have had that weakness for a couple of seasons. You just rarely had the opportunity to expose it. Now it comes more often. Yeah, I would... Look, he's made a lot of changes defensively. You know, Kanji's coming to the team. Nathan Aki's played more. Diaz has been left out. Laporte's been left out. Carl Walker's been left out. Rico Lewis has come in. It feels like the whole... Cancelo's left the football club. It feels like the whole of their back line is... You could predict City's back four, or if they played a three, you could predict it. I don't think that's the case today. And that tells you really what I'm trying to allude to, is that defensively, they're not quite the same. Just on that point about defence, because I agree with you, Tony, in terms of the inconsistency in setup. But they they did have that at the start of the season. I can remember was talking about it in a positive way about how these mm. players came in Akanje, Ake interchanging. I I wanted to ask both of you and maybe Greg and slightly more. 
the point on defending for me was looking at that Forest goal, which again, as you say, Hugh, it's interesting how it comes from Forest having possession and City almost going, you know, here you go. You know, it's not like the last minute. It was in, you know, a good 10 minutes of play left. And they mentioned it on Match of the Day. And this is maybe a bold thing for me to say about a former Premier League footballer when I'm sat on a podcast between two former footballers. <laughs> but I'm not sure Mika Richards' point about Bernardo Silva being a midfielder in defence and kind of coming out was quite right. It felt to me like a a pressing issue with the whole team as a whole. Forrest kind of went left and right, back and forth, and then it got to their right back, and then Jack Grealish kind of comes out to press. Gundogan comes out to press in a bit, like in a half-hearted way. It kind of comes back to this point where they are we a pressing team to win it back and kind of ping, 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 or are we kind of sitting in? And then yeah. Bernardo came out, and that's kind of where the goal comes from. But I, I think he was more referring to just natural defensive instinct, which would be, you I, know, we're exposed here. The one thing I probably shouldn't do is charge up the field. I agree, but I think that the, the triggers from that before were that Grealish and Gundogan did a similar thing, despite the fact that it had gone all the way across the pitch, and De Bruyne, Haaland, some of the other players hadn't done that. They'd kind of just let Forrest go. You can go from right to left across the pitch. So th- that to me is one thing that I may be interested in about City, whether they're caught a little bit between what we were and what we are. I think that Silva is in a bit of a unique position there as well and that he is, it is his natural instinct to do that, to to, to press inside. Um, but it's also what Pep Guardiola wants his team to do. He wants the, the nearest man to close down the ball as soon as, as quickly as possible. And so if it's out of sync a little bit, as you say, and I think we all agree it has been this season, it's not been... The kind of familiar, uh, you know, pressing outfit that that City have been at times. Um, if it's out, then you know, the, as you were saying, the, the the breaks kind of can continue further and longer. And but after even after that, you know, I think even if Silva goes, we spoke about this in the Arsenal game. Silva did that sometimes uh, against Arsenal. If Odegaard was bursting through the middle per se, uh, perchance, and he he closed them down, and Aki would even go out to close down Saka as the winger. Mm. So it's about the next man doing, you know, taking the trigger and doing it. And at, what happened after Silva was all arguably the worst bit. I mean, Laporte just stood kind of, I think he basically ushered uh, Brennan Johnson past him, just like a statue. Uh, I think Rodri fell over. Yeah. Um, and it was, you have to actually give a bit of credit to Forrest too. It was a good move. It was yeah. a bit, Like everyone, <laughs> I was reading below the line in, the, in Paul Rowan's piece today and a lot of angry Forrest fans saying this was a, you know, an absolutely brilliant move. I think 19 passes or something. Uh, although City's defending was questionable, it was a great move. And I think it underlined that Brennan Johnson and Gibbs White are really growing into the Premier League life, yeah. life as Premier League footballers now. They're Forrest's two most dangerous players and they lent really well for that goal. Uh, and Wood was the man on the spot. So, look, I, there was a lot of moments you could say about City, and it's usually if one player doesn't get it quite right, the next one's there to to, to kind of mop it up, and that's what has not been quite as good this season. I've I got to say, they could release a DVD on the missed chances in this game, to be perfectly honest, <laughs> oh, with, yeah. the, with the Benny Hill music yeah. behind it. That's why you can't, I don't think you can read too much into this one. I understand we're having this yeah, conversation yeah. almost weekly but with City. But they should have scored four or five. I mean, yeah. Foden's so, one when he was running through, and he kind of, like... Will I shoot? Will I shoot? And then he took slightly too big a touch, yeah. and then for some reason tried to swing it to, it. Just to Holland. It. At that point, just that smash was, it. Yeah. Well, is there a point of saying no? What they did to Arsenal and the way they went about it, especially in the second half at the Emirates, they were superb, City. But could we say that they don't quite get there like they once did in their pressing? Is this City team 
going for a little bit of a transitional se- uh, season, even though they're still really good. But because they're not as good, I don't. Any, no one can tell me that they were they were a better team than they were last year. I actually think they, there has been a very small decline in what City are about. They don't do everything quite as well. That's made obviously that small margins made and ultimately a better, you know, a bigger difference. Uh, is that fair? It is totally fair. Um, I think you're right, Tony. The one thing that I'd say is I, I, the management of this period, this transition, is what is most interesting to me because a lot of coaches would try and settle on their best team, try and start that team as often as they can. Um, and then we would we'd almost start to learn what the substitutions are going to be and what minute once you you know graduate all of the squad into really learning what you want from them, and because Pep Guardiola is the king of rotation, wants to rotate, has so many good players. When you're not playing that well, when you're five percent off, do you want to make four or five changes a game? Do you want to see you know all of these play, you know players from the academy, world class players left on the bench? You know, people not really knowing what they where they stand in terms of their future, which I, I also think is an issue in terms of that transition because there's a few players who wanted to leave the club last summer. There's players coming towards the end of their contracts at City. Then we have the off-field stuff as well. And you kind of want Pep Guardiola to just settle on. Here's your best 11. And for me, that is the, the 11 that almost, you know, with Haaland included, played last season. As far as I'm concerned, you know, you play the team from last season that won a title and you just put Erling Haaland up front. You know, I don't see why you need to rotate as much as he has rotated, play Ake as much, play Akanji as much. Well, I know why. Some players have been totally out of form. I get that. But I just think now, how do you get that consistency? Are you going to really become a consistently we winning... We about that, though. He doesn't but, do but that. How, but, no, but how he are you... All right, answer the question then, Gregor. How are you going to start basically winning every week, which is what City needs to do? He's trying to evolve his team. He's trying to evolve it. He, so he thinks title, people title are, out the window. Just focus on evolving the team. I think there's some people who believe him behind you. I think so. No, but what about the title? What about winning now? What about making sure... He clearly sure? thinks that this is the way to do it, by evolving the team. Because if players aren't up to what he's... to the standards that they've set before or the standards he expects, he's looking for another way to, to find the wins. And this is the way he thinks it's best. Look, we, we, clearly it's not working. It's not working as well as, the, as it has been in recent seasons. But... This is what he sees as the best way to find wins. He has done it before, hasn't he? He's adapted. You know, we talked about it with Cancelo playing as a kind of inside left back. You know, we even had it before with Fabian Delph won a Premier League title as a kind of left back for Pep Guardiola because he was the short-term solution to a team that was evolving. And we'll probably see it in the summer. You know, we're talking about Bernardo Silva coming in at left back. I don't think Kyle Walker's had a great season in terms of form and fitness as well. So he's got, you know, he's a manager who's been part of that um, revolution of the the modern fullback, and he's not. I wouldn't say he's got on either side. He's got fullbacks that are firing, so that's part of it as well. And so I kind of agree with Gregor that you know it's part of that evolution. But you then also whether they win the title or not, you'll see changes in the summer, I guess. Okay, all right. Well, Forest probably should have been beaten, but they're delighted with the point they take against Manchester City. Up next, we're talking Chelsea. Uh, big issues for Graham Potter, but remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, uh, re- leave us a review, rate us, or make sure you're subscribed. Chelsea's horrible run of form under their manager Graham Potter continued this weekend. Great free kick from James Ward-Prowse once again. And that earned the Premier League's bottom club, Southampton, a shock victory at Stamford Bridge. Maybe not a shock 
for others. Shock for me anyway. Uh, that result means Chelsea have now won just two games in their last 14 in all competitions. Southampton standing boss Ruben Seles had the perfect audition and uh, it leaves them now three points from safety. Booze ringing out at full time inside Stamford Bridge as Tony picks up his paper. And as I say, <laughs> pressure, pressure grows on Graham Potter. Um, he's going to receive his call on the <laughs> No, 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 no. But you did have some strong words in the Times um, regarding Graham Potter, Tony. Essentially, you stated. Roman Abramovich, the former owner, would have sacked Graham Potter three times over. Tell us why. Would you disagree with that? No, I don't disagree with that. No, I, I think it's it's pretty obvious that. But but well, okay, I'll, you explain. Would that be your... That's the sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. So you explain why uh, you decided to write this in the column, and then we'll come back. Uh, well, I look. I kept. I don't get the narrative at Chelsea where this is some long term plan. This club has been in a hurry. They was in a hurry to buy lots of players that they felt they needed. They were in a hurry to buy the club. And I don't, I can't buy how they think that this is going to be some long-term plan when you are losing way too many games and in the manner you're losing them. And also, the lack of... I mean, I looked at the midfield on Saturday and I looked at Wal Prowse and Lavia. And I thought, they absolutely run the show, especially in the first 45 minutes, against... Player as experienced as Kovacic, a hundred million pound player in Enzo Fernandez. You know these are top players, and you cannot look at Chelsea and think these are all working in tandem. This team functions really well. It looked disjointed. They came out honestly. I watched the game again at, uh, late on in the evening on Saturday because I couldn't believe the tempo of Chelsea's play. It was ponderous. It was. I, I kept thinking, what would the team talk must have been? Because they've come out and they're so off the pace of a game that fans are booing at half-time. And it wasn't just because of what's happened previously. It was what they witnessed in the first 45 minutes of the game. Every Chelsea fan felt it was wrong. It just did. It had nothing about it that resembled any team going for the juggler, taking it to the opposition. They're playing the team bottom of the league. You know, Graham Potter's made a lot of comments uh, about, you know, Southampton, you know, had a, a good preparation in the week. Well, he could make a load of changes, Graham Potter, from the team that played against Dortmund. And Southampton making, you know, having good preparation. Well, does that mean that Chelsea's preparation wasn't particularly good? Because they played like it. Now, I, in, my, in Graham Potter's defence, I think it's been an unbelievable tricky scenario of developing a team when you keep changing it. If you anyone here can tell me Chelsea's best eleven, I'll eat me out because I ain't got a clue, and I've and I've watched Chelsea every game this season, and I, I I'm looking thinking Thiago Silva's your best player. Kepa's had a really good season. Manager of Kepa played like he did when he first got to the club. Chelsea'd be nearly the, the bottom six. You know this is Chelsea Football Club, and I I just don't buy that Graham can keep going along. They were in the one game scenario for me at the weekend. I said this on. Um, you know, when I was working on radio, that if they lose to Southampton, I think the week will be so different. And I wouldn't be surprised if he went. Because as much as football's never never ceased to amaze me of sackings, but if Graham Potter's team keep playing the way they do, I can't see any other solution for Chelsea than to part company. Because he doesn't look like a manager. I mean, and I'll ask Gregor this about... 
you know, we have many different managers in our dre- we faced uh, Gregor in in the dressing room, and we've had team talks, and sometimes you get the feeling of it's all a bit matter of fact with Graham Potter, and it's quite obvious and it's quite cliched what he's saying. Is that you know? Is it? Am I being really harsh? Are we getting? Are we getting personal? Look, <laughs> <laughs> I've. We've spoken about Graham Potter a lot. I've always said yeah. that I, I, I didn't see it. I didn't see it on, when he's in front of the camera. I've spoken about his sort of performances in front of the camera quite a lot because it's pretty uninspiring. But then I remember I spoke about... What's his team John, talk then? That's I don't know. I spoke, Johnny Northcroft did, had like an hour with him in an interview and he said he he thought he was brilliant. You could see his kind of you know intelligence, emotional intelligence as well mm. as intelligence. And... How he sort of, you can tell he's built, he built something at Brighton where it was about, you know, it was holistic. It was like about caring for the players as well. And, and you know, I know that's quite commonplace now in modern football, but he, he certainly found a way for the players to, to, to want to play for him. And look, we have to come back to the fact that the, the sort of recruitment overhaul has been unprecedented. I think they've got 33 players now. Um, there was a huge injury sort of uh, list early, just after Christmas. Um, they somehow, after spending what six hundred million pounds, they don't have a striker. Like there are mitigating factors, but having said all that, the team are worse than some that kind of total some of their parts as well. That's the way, the way they look now. So he, I think, this next week or so, I think they've got Leeds, Dortmund, and Leicester. I think there's a good chance he could be gone if they don't. Spurs, if they don't get Spurs, one. Spurs first, yeah. Sorry. Spurs wrap away at Spurs. Spurs. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I, there's. I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying no, that's no, right. No. I think. He, I think, given all those factors and given the whole new project the, the, and what they've spoken about, they des- he deserves to get the chance to have a full pre-season and to kick into next season. But there comes a point where the atmosphere becomes so bad yeah. and the performance level becomes so worrying. Um, and the results ultimately yeah. that it's untenable. Yeah, but you you look at the lineup at the weekend, and it's like Graham Potter has closed his eyes and just put his hand in the pick and mix, grabbed what he could, thrown it out on the it's table. Not that surprising. Yeah, and it's like I haven't really got the sweets that I wanted. I've got I've got a lot of sweets here, but my favourites were maybe a little bit further down. Like it just seems like a team that was thrown together. Like you just look at you, th- you think okay, they are playing Southampton. Southampton, by the way, had a few of their new signings in the team as well, as well at the weekend. Obviously, playing for a lot in terms of their Premier League survival. Again, you can call it a new manager bounce ish, maybe because of the fact that they had one of their first team coaches who's now interim. But obviously, Nathan Jones leaving seems to have lifted the weight off the shoulders of the players because you know, listening to their post match interviews, they certainly seem happier certainly seem more motivated. Obviously, they've just beaten Chelsea away. But um, you look at the Chelsea team, and we're talking about City in transition. We're talking about a team that's added two or three players. You see what I mean? Being off it. Well, Chelsea have added a new squad, essentially. So why would they not be well off it? Uh, You know, I think there are massive mitigating factors for him in a football sense. And I, I do want to come back to what you said about personality. But, Tom, in a football sense, how surprised are you by this run of Chelsea? How surprised were you by the defeat of the weekend? And do you agree? Are there any mitigating circumstances? I think there are obviously mitigating circumstances in in terms of the number of signings. That can always be unsettling. I think for a manager at Graham Potter's, at this level and this pressure. But I would say, to me, listening to the guys there, to me, the most concerning thing for Graham Potter is 
on is on the pitch in terms of the tactics, not not the players. It's because to me, when he was at Brighton, he was so impressive tactically. It, it we often praised him not just for having one way of playing, but for always coming up with a plan when he played big teams. They've got a plan to stop X. They've got a plan to stop Y. They had a, you know they sometimes struggled to break down teams and score goals. Yes, but they always looked like they knew what they were doing. And to me, that's that's the most concerning thing. That he's been there a while now, and I don't necessarily know what Graham Potter's Chelsea are supposed to be yeah, on the football, pitch. Football is always it always comes down to relationships, and he's not built any relationships with these guys yet. Most of them are brand new. Like he, he that's the whole thing. He built relationships with people at Brighton, and how many times have we spoken about? Oh, they sold a player, and then they brought someone in, and they knew exactly what they were doing, or a player was injured, or oh. like. Players who can play in so many positions in the system, they all knew. They all knew it. They spent time at the club. And the problem is, he's not going to get this time. But so he, it's, that's why he's such a like a bad fit for Chelsea, God. for this modern Chelsea. Where for any Chelsea, for the old Chelsea, he would have been gone, as well, Tony says. He might get time because he's currently getting time. So it will look really hey. bad for them to not give him time. But it's becoming harder and harder to see him getting that time. I walked into Villa Park, signed for Aston Villa under Graham Taylor. And I was in Villa Park and I was walking around and Graham Taylor, there's all pictures on the walls around Villa Park. And he said to me, have a look at the pictures, what do you see? Looking at all the teams, this is the team of 1981-82 and this is the team of 84 and 85 and seeing all these different teams. I said, there's a lot of change in a lot of the photos. So quickly, like year by year. He said, that's what happens at big clubs. You, you change personnel. A lot of big players go out and come in if it doesn't work. Okay, that's what happens at big clubs. So having time at big clubs, building relationships, is really tricky because anyone falls short, being okay, the standard is not okay. I lasted a year and a bit at Aston Villa because I was okay. That, that's the benchmark. And that's Aston Villa. This is now Chelsea of today. And I, I, get, I, I can't stand this narrative of the centre-forward is what they need and that will be ultimately the difference. His team do not score. Not the centre forward, it's all across the board. Whether it's Mason Mount's numbers have gone down. Gallagher, who did brilliantly well out on loan at Crystal Palace, he's got one goal in 10, 10 Premier League games. And then you, you can just go through the team. Raheem Sterling's goal numbers are down from Man City. So it's all these issues. It's a team problem. Now, you made a point there about brilliantly plotting and stopping opposition. Well, Chelsea are not... They're a team that shouldn't be plotting to stop opposition. They should, the opposition should be stopping them. And they're playing like they're trying to stop the opposition. Well, you do to a d- degree when you haven't got the ball, but it's not the main factor of the way Chelsea should play. Chelsea should be taking and frying the kitchen sink at teams. I had the game of the weekend, the first 45 minutes, it felt like Chelsea were fighting relegation. Watching them, it was like, this is... And you could say, yeah, they've not played together and they're all different special individuals and you can see there's talent there. But they played in such a manner, the crowd were going ballistic at half-time because of what they just witnessed. And that is where I come back to. This is not going to serve Graham Potter well. Unless he has a, a you know transformation, the way he sees Chelsea playing, he's going to have to be his brilliant best tactically from now on in because he's got to convince a lot of pl- a lot of people within football that he's worthy of being the Chelsea manager. It's a yeah. very special job in football. I think the uh you know the the vacuum is going to be filled very soon in terms of the players thoughts on Graham Potter because I do believe modern players 
they make a judgment call on the manager that will be based a lot on what their colleagues are saying to them friends agents and I think it spirals from there I think it was one of those things that affected Nathan Jones at Southampton the perception that you're out of your depth mm-hmm. you know that affects whether the players are motivated by you because I think in the Premier League they know as soon as the squad gives the old to the board yeah we're not too keen on him it's not too long until there's a change so it's important that he keeps those players on side and at the moment I'm not really sure that they're convinced by him which goes back to that point that we said when he was hired we said it in depth on this podcast that his you know the outward Graham Potter did not fit with what people view to be the top line manager of today which is someone who is on the touchline violently screaming in the air of the fourth official you know, physically motivating the team. You know, Simeone, but that's Conte, not his, but that Guardiola, be his fault, though, Klopp. It, really? But it, no. But what I'm saying is, ultimately, you're selling yourself. Part of this is PR, and it's not just to the fans. Although the fans now want to see that, they want to see a manager that cares. Tuchel used to get incredibly angry whether his team did something good or bad. That he was just angry all the time. They want to see something on the touchline from their manager, which is why Graham Potter is now being asked about his demeanour and his ability to become angry. And that is why fans are now pouring over every word that he says in post-match and basically saying he's too nice. They had a, a, a penalty decision not go their way. And fans are saying, you've got to cut... You know, pundits are coming out and saying, Graham Potter, you have to come out in your post-match interview yeah, and skewer the ref. Yeah, but the problem is that all of these things build a narrative that the players then take to. And if the players take to it, they lose belief in the manager. Okay, we have a centre-forward, okay? I'm the centre-forward. I've missed chances. Gregor's the the full-back. Right or left-back, were you, Gregor? Left. Left, left left-back. Okay. And I'd miss Where am I playing, Tom? You could, you're de- Tom, you're definitely a centre half. Okay, on the bench. I'm playing centre forward <laughs> and I miss chance and I'll come back in the dressing room and I'm like, yeah. It's like, really? Week in, week out, you're just okay with missing a chance. There's huge pressure on you to deliver as a centre forward to get goals. And when you don't and you miss chances, your dressing room will start talking about you. That 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 happens. So if you're a manager and you're meant to deliver as a manager, and you know you come in and you give this team talk, why do you have these great speeches and great you know turnaround moments? Apparently, Arteta did it at Villa Park on Saturday. The half time, people commented about what was said at half time that came out. What you saw Arsenal come out to in the second half. Mm. So if you're you're a player and you're quite lackadaisical and quite well, yeah, yeah, I, I didn't take the chance I had. Your, your mates will question you and say. You got to be angry. Is that fair, Gregor? By the way, I don't think we should be moving towards a place of, of like judging Potter as a manager be, being good or bad. I think we can be fair. It can be fair to comment to try and question whether he's the right fit for Chelsea. Well, and we did what, from the start. But I think this is what we are doing. I know, but we're see, we're talking about lots of little reasons that make it seem like it's not quite the right fit. Well, yeah. But the, so ultimately, it comes down to whether they're willing to give him the time to 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 change the whole environment of that football club. And what he needs to do is win enough games. We've said this for ages. He just needs to win enough games to get that time. And just now he's not doing it. But, Gregor, um, when you're looking at the managers of top teams, you're talking about Graham Potter changing the environment. And we are talking about the fact that the environment needs to change Graham Potter. It's all good saying he's a good coach, but and, and, and you're saying he's not the right fit. I'm saying if he is to be the right fit at Chelsea, it's not just about him changing the environment totally. Part of him needs to change as well. I think we saw, we've seen a little bit of that already. He's, he's answered to the question about whether he's got 
like an edge mm. was I, I really enjoyed it he said look if you think I've come from the Northwest Counties League not the Northwest Premier League the Northwest Counties in the ninth division and come all the way through to being a Chelsea manager with being nice all the time I suggest you don't know anything about anything and that's look I think that's fairly to the point it wasn't getting didn't have to get angry but it was pointed and he's absolutely bang on said that many times he's there's no chance I've spoken to some of these players at Austersons who told me about like him putting on running sessions where he told them he was going, they were going to keep on running every time he blows the whistle and he's not going to tell them when to stop so it was like a mental challenge as well that was because they lost a game like undoubtedly he's got edge he's got all of that and he'll have it in the dressing room and the players will have seen it I think by now so I think this is all mm. it's about perception and that's important Undoubtedly, because it changes the atmosphere in the stadium, not necessarily behind the scenes in the stadium. And that's important because that will help determine how much time he gets to make Chelsea a little bit more like the Chelsea he wants them to be. There's different dynamics of managing at certain levels. It's like a player. You play at a certain level and it's quite it's easier for you. But as you go up the pecking order or go up the ladder and you play for bigger clubs, the challenges become different. Yeah, And it's exactly the same for a manager. Managing Brighton, you can't even compare to Chelsea. It's a different narrative, totally, on every level. And that's what he's got to prove. And sometimes you, you have to ask the question of, you know, Ancelotti, who's been an incredible manager, and how he's managed players. And you get these great players, and you can't go and run them. You know, you could, you could say, you know, oh, PSG, and they've had a bad run, well, I'm going to run you tomorrow. You try running Kylian Mbappe <laughs> if he don't want to run. He's bigger than you, so you have to manage that situation. So it's not an answer to do at Chelsea. For me, you you can lay down the law like you did at lower down the pecking order and you can get to a certain level at Bright and you can still do that. And then suddenly you've got Thiago Silva, you've got, I don't know, you know, you've had Jorginho and you've had many top players who have won things. That's a different dynamic totally. Um, so I think he's got to prove. And look, I'd love Graham Potter to do well at Chelsea in many ways because he's earned his stripes to get this job. But from, from here on in, he has to prove why he was given the job. Well, ju- just to very briefly jump in and do our usual all credit to Southampton when we're talking about a big team <laughs> losing, um, I wanted to pay stre- special tribute to Roman Perro and his clearance off the oh. line. Not, not only was it brilliant positionally, his celebration afterwards <laughs> was almost like he couldn't believe that he'd managed to do it. Um, and in terms of praising Southampton, but linking back to Chelsea, I wanted to ask the guys about free kicks. James Ward-Prowse great stats etc I think he's one behind Beckham now wonderful free kick but I was fascinated by the Chelsea wall because I watched it and I've watched it back and forth several times and the ball goes over Ben Chilwell's head who happens to jump the lowest of all the wall now they put I think Kovacic on the bottom lying down the modern tactics you know make sure which means that the wall can jump right but then the wall, they're kind of like all huddled together. And like Aspilicueta has got his hand on Chilwell's shirt. So he's almost like pulling him down. <laughs> like, I, I just wondered whether, you know, in this modern age of like throw in coaches and things like, are we going to start seeing like how a defensive wall should be formed type thing? You know, in your day, was it literally just put the biggest guys in there? Don't you dare let it get past you. Because that, if you're facing Southampton and James Ward Prowse, surely yeah. you've got to have thought about it, haven't you? Who you're putting in your wall. And, ha- and how you do it. If you're going to have a guy lying on the floor, you put your biggest blokes in the wall and you all jump as high as you possibly can, right? Yeah. Uh, I'd say the guy lying on the wall is already... Sorry, lying on the floor is already a sign that this is something that's been thought about. And I know that's, like... It's only a few seasons old, probably. Um, but undoubtedly... Look, in our day, I would say it was the goal, the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper oh. picked who and where each man went, um, how many men, 
they lined it up nowadays yeah there's far, far more detail going into it but um, I mean word prowse is just uh, it, I've been in many pre- uh, post-match press conferences this season when managers are referenced we know we can't you know we know, we know how dangerous he is at set pieces we know not to give fouls away around the box like that and you see people giving away stupid fouls and you, you must, managers must be tearing their hair out because it's such a good chance of there being a goal now um, uh, incredible incredible technique yeah, I listened to the commentary. I was watching Sky Sports News on the panel and that, and it was literally the comment was, well, it's Will Prowse. This is, could be a goal. Like, literally saying, I think it was Paul Merson was doing the game, and he literally said, well, this is a great chance for a goal. He could easily put this in. And it was in the back of the net. And it was, so, like, it's such an obvious thing because he's so capable. And I'm a bit weird with Wolves because I don't like the man laying on the floor because you 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 can count on one hand that the, the ball's gone <laughs> under the wall. You know, 99% of the time, the ball is going up and down, okay? So you get your biggest wall that you can. If you know someone like Wall Walprouse is never doing anything but shooting. So try and get your biggest wall and make sure, like you said, don't get smaller in the wall. I just don't understand why there isn't a deeper player behind the wall or even a wall that's further back. Like, I just don't understand why you have the wall there. Outside. Exactly. Yeah, I know, but because of where the ball is positioned, I'd rather have that. Because what you're going to do is straight dink fifteen also, yards forward. Like goal- you're not going to, you're not going to. That ball is such a low percentage ball. Goalkeepers like a like a reasonably clear lane of sight. They don't want too yeah. much. It's like that word chaos again. They don't want to, coming through too many people in the box. They have a one wall. If it doesn't clear that, then it's on them. Unfortunately, the goalkeeper. But that, but, but that, <laughs> it's a great part, free kick. I can't, partly, you can't blame the keeper. No, no. Listen, I'm, and I, that, but that's partly why I was asking the question because looking at Kepper. And he, it went in, and he stands up and kicks the post and turns around and looks at the wall. That's just goalkeeper's standard. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or when they make a great save and they get up and they go, come on, you. And they, come on, mate. You did your job. Yeah. <laughs> great free kick. Only one behind David Beckham in terms of the best uh, in Premier League history. So absolutely fantastic. I'm sure James Ward-Prowse will break that record as long as Southampton stay up this season but uh, that victory gives them a better chance of doing so we are going to discuss the bottom of the table and some massive results next hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Bournemouth beat Wolves away from home as well. Just their second away win of the season. Second win in 13 Premier League games uh, for Gary O'Neill's side. That was thanks to Marcus Tavernier's winner. Everton beat Leeds United for a second win in three league games under Sean Dyche. Captain Seamus Coleman rolled out the red carpet by the Leeds keeper Ilan Melier. And that means that West Ham drop into the bottom three after their defeat at Spurs. Worth talking about, I guess, um, all of these teams towards the bottom at the same time. Let's start with Everton. Massive win for them. Leeds offered very little in this match. No shots on target. They've only scored once in their last five Premier League games. So, even though it was a massive win for Everton, and credit to them, how are Leeds going to solve this problem, Tony? 
Well, you know, we always look at manager, you know, bounce or when someone loses their job, the team react. And we, we saw, we've seen that numerous times. And Leeds were the complete opposite. It was like they were just flat. I don't think it helps that Patrick Bamford is clearly not fit. You know, he's he's doing the Calvert-Lewin of last season where Everton had to play him, get him fit, and you're going to hope, you're hoping he's going to find his way as the season wears on. But Bamford's way off the pace. And rightly so, he's played very little football. You know, he doesn't look like even close to being the Bamford that we know that really shone for Leeds at times. I was really shocked by Leeds. And I, you know what you I think you know what you're going to get with Everton now with Sean Dyche. You're going to get the three in midfield, you know, that are very powerful. Anana, Decore, um, and then the other boy who came in, Gay, uh, Gay, Gay. Um, it just, it, to me, they're quite obvious what they're going to be doing. And I thought Leeds just suffered in every moment. And, you know, not to, to be in a relegation battle and show no, or look of no fight at all. Leeds fans will be just so concerned by their performance because it was lacklustered at the highest degree. What did you make of it, Gregor? Yeah, look, these are two teams that are really struggling for goals. Um, I think Nonto and Somerville provide a, a kind of flicker every now and then, but they're, they're both very young and inexperienced, I think, 20 and 21. Um, and I agree, Bamford is the man that they've been relying on for forever really in the Premier League and he's not always fit um, so but the, the fact that Everton are relying on Mope uh, Sims and an injured Calvert-Lewin it's just it does not all go well for them either so look it was it was uh, just a moment of inspiration for the for the goal for the winner and otherwise it's two teams that are they show plenty of battle and fight I think yeah. I don't think there's any sort of question about their commitment Um but they really just don't they're really lacking that cutting edge in the final third and for that reason they're both going to be very close this season 1-0 win with a goal from Seamus Coleman it's just peak Sean Dyche isn't it? he just <laughs> never ever lets you down you know the long standing loyal captain who's played at right back and kind of come back in the team gets the goal and that that is the other thing for Everton as well isn't it win the first game then lose the Merseyside derby what are you going to get in your ultimately the, these kind of games that will decide whether you stay up or not home win against a relegation rival that's where Sean Dyche delivers every time I think it was important they kept the positivity going particularly at home another home victory they welcome Aston Villa next as well and I I just think they will be a different prospect at home those of us that have been to Goodison Park um, will know a, a very different prospect at home than they will be away from home and if they can keep the victories coming at home I think they'll be okay even though they're going to have to fight for everything as all these teams at the bottom are um, Tom, I've got to say, they, they need a new manager. They need a new manager now, Leeds United, because it's nothing against Michael Scabala. They just need some direction and they need someone with a lot of experience to help them. Yeah, well, we talked about lots of different managers and situations already on the podcast and in terms of what the, what the message sends, haven't we? You know, we talked about that was part of the big discussion around Graham Potter and Chelsea. And what does the message send to the players and to the fans when... You're sacking a manager. You're maybe looking around, not getting who you want, maybe not getting the kind of conversations and negotiations you want, and then going, "Ah, oh, well, we'll stick with this guy for now." I mean, that just doesn't bode well. I mean, you know, Wolves did it for a bit, didn't they, before Christmas um, when they couldn't get their man with Lopetegui, and then quickly realised this uh, short-term appointment wasn't wasn't <laughs> doing much good for them. So uh, they do desperately. But <laughs> Greg has mentioned it before in terms of the the management of the club 
having Bielsa sacking him and picking Marsh this then felt like okay were you going to keep going down that route of style of play um, that kind of slightly fevered intense atmosphere that we've talked about before at the pot on the pod in turn particularly at Ellen Road which I don't think helps them I don't think helps them down the bottom um, it's, they need a bit of direction I said it, I said it last week talking about another club there's only one Sean Dyche that's that's the pro- <laughs> that, that, there aren't but that's almost you're looking at other managers and who who do you think who 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 are, who are we going right well let this who can settle Leeds down I think Leeds have like loftier they do, but, the, but impressions of themselves. Are they, they all do, but so did Everton when they wanted Marcelo Bielsa instead of instead of Sean Dyche. And look how look how. But uh, I mean, even I mean, even the people uh, running the club, Victor Orta. I mean, there was some pointed chance in his direction. Mm. I think uh, on Saturday, and I'm not surprised. I've said it in the last few weeks that Leeds have been run pretty averagely. I think under them, and um, you know, the Bielsa thing was like was like a, was something miraculous, and and. How they can still be relying on you know the defenders that they have and the strikers that they have. What's yeah. in between isn't bad. I honestly think what's in the middle of their you know their midfield is good. They've got some some danger and some creativity on the wings. Uh, they do, they just don't have a goal scorer and they're, they've been shocking well, in, at the centre of defence yeah. throughout their Premier League. They were they were poor in the Championship. Yeah. So that that comes down to them and I think the the, the kind of the drift that they find themselves in now comes down to them as well. It's like it, it was instinctive. Yeah, it was like an impulsive decision yeah. to get rid of Marsh, yeah. and that's the kind of appease the fans. But it wasn't becoming. It wasn't so like acrimonious that he had to go. It was getting. It was getting that way. But mm. the players were still playing for Jesse Marsh. Jesse Marsh still, you would feel, was more likely to get a tune out of these players than. Scabala, mm, yeah, and but, or, but they obviously sacked him thinking they're going to they're gonna be able to get someone in before these games because otherwise it looks like again, such that comes a ridiculous them. decision. Yeah. Because you had the two games against Manchester United where you're not expected to get much. Okay, you got a point out of those two games. You've had this first game against Everton, which is huge. You've lost that, and now you have Southampton next weekend. They are off the back of beating Chelsea away from home, and you're just thinking if they lose those two games against the relegation rivals. What was the point of getting rid of Jesse Marsh so early? You might as well have given him those two matches. Yeah. If he doesn't win them, then you get fair enough. You, you sack him. So I do think it was kind of a ludicrous decision, unless yeah. you knew one hundred percent the replacement was coming in. No, losing Rodrigo as well for injury didn't help matters because he was on good form for them this season. The manager market is scary because you can all ask questions of who we think, and you know, and, and Tom alluded to well, there's like there's only one Sean Dyche, and that is right, but. You know, you've got to question the rallings of the football club and recruitment regarding managers because Brighton don't have a problem when they recruit a manager. I could say Brentford didn't have a problem when Thomas Frank came into the football club. They'd lost Dean Smith. You know, these clubs seem to have an idea of who they want as their next manager. I've even been told uh, Brentford have got a plan in place if they lose Thomas Frank. Mm. So, you know, these clubs seem well prepared and let leads from the outside. It feels like, well, you've made a bit of a rick here because... Jesse Marsh has gone, and I totally agree with everything that's been said about you might as well have kept him into into the uh, kept him in the job for this period. But clearly, they they don't quite know what they want or can't entice a guy into the job. And recruitment in management is one of the most difficult things to do because you got you're bringing in a new team that's got to give a different dynamic and someone you're convinced can change the fortunes of your football club. And it's a tough gig. You've got to get that right. 
bad result for Wolves this weekend. They did make a change, obviously, earlier on in the season. They got Julian Lopetegui. Uh, Bournemouth decided to stick with Gary O'Neill, who had a great period as interim. Hasn't been going great of late. But now, only one defeat in four for Bournemouth. Gary O'Neill, I love this. Immediate request after the game from the players. You got a big victory away from home, second away win of the season. Someone's got to, you know, someone shouted it, didn't they? Monday off gaffer or whatever it is. <laughs> Gary O'Neill, no, absolutely not, not happening. He said you're going to have to win more than one game to get that. To Don't be taking them to the club, Tony. <laughs> whatever you do, for goodness sake. <laughs> well, listen, they need some extra preparation. To be perfectly honest, because the next three games are Manchester City, Arsenal, and Liverpool. And you need at least positive performances in those three games. You don't want to be looking on, on the back of those three mm. and, and maybe not picking up a point and most importantly seeing a huge detrimental goal difference that could affect you at the end of the season. So it's good that they've got a victory going into this run of games. Yeah, definitely. And I think we didn't we didn't mention their draw with Newcastle um, on last week's show, but we could easily have done because I think that was a massive game for them at home against a team that have been riding high. Yes, I know Newcastle are on a bit of a dip at the moment, but that, that was a huge point for them. And then to follow it up, as you say, with a win and a clean sheet, it it means that going into those games, you're you're a little bit less desperate, and you're thinking, you know, we can do this. We've reminded reminded each other, yeah, we're all right. We can play here. And I think they've kind of gone completely under the radar, Bournemouth, um, this season in terms of those because there are so many big big clubs down there um, scrapping it out for relegation. And Gary O'Neill it probably suits him in terms of in in that respect to kind of just fly under the radar, keep keep plugging away, and look. They're, they're very difficult games coming up, as you say, Hugh, but the the foundation that the last two games gives them gives them a chance. The return of Marcus Taverni is massive for them. I think he's got three goals and four assists in his last five games, but there was a, a big block of injury in between that and uh he's he he's been he's been one real kind of positive in terms of the recruitment in the summer. Uh and I, I look I've quite liked the way that Gary O'Neill has always stayed pretty level he said that in his interview afterwards in fact he's like you know you must be really happy with this he's no I'm quite quite level I think there have been some good performances in there and he was even when I remember interviewing down at uh, Vitality uh, when when they were in the in the kind of thick of that I think there were six games un, unbeaten at the start and he was very kind of calm about it all and he's obviously quite kind of processed and sort of process driven and analyses things and, and doesn't get too high and too low and I think that could be quite important for them because they it's been a really bad run. We'll see if they can uh, continue that, and it would be a big shock if they get a victory in the next three games. But as I say, the positivity quite important towards the bottom of the table. Positivity isn't the word that you associate with West Ham United at the moment. Tom, it's got to be you on this one. I'm sorry. It's your boy David Moyes. Um, they lose once again. Couldn't create much once again. Yes, they probably had hardest opposition out of those teams towards the bottom in the shape of Tottenham Hotspur away from home. But actually, you look at the squad, you look at the bench, you know, there is plenty of attacking quality. And and David Moyes pointing out that the thing they couldn't do was really create, the, he said the two goals came from West Ham's own mistakes as well. But I think there is more than enough now. You're starting to look at that squad and think he needs to get more out of them. I knew you were coming to me on this one. Make sure you ask Johnny Northcroft about it next time as well, because <laughs> he's my fellow David Moyes fan club member. <laughs> I mentioned the table last week and Sam saying that you know the table doesn't lie ultimately when it comes to analysis. And you look at the table and the bottom six have all changed managers this season apart from West Ham. And that's where you start to go, hmm. Because the other thing is with those players, Hugh, and you're quite right to pick it out, 
I can remember around Christmas time, we were all saying, lots of people, not just not just me backing David Moyes, but we all said, oh, well, they've got enough. They're too good. Mm. They'll they'll put a run together. He'll get it right. I I was defending him, saying, oh, well, this may, maybe we just need. He just needs a season to come up with David Moyes 2.0, something that he never did at Everton. You know, he had kind of one way of playing with a certain style and certain players. But and, it, and it's clear that he's trying to do that because you referenced chances created, and I think there was a statistics or tables uh, doing the rounds on social media this weekend about how they had been in the top four or five for chances created from crosses, from corners, from all these kind of things, and they're like near the bottom now. So it's either that the personnel has changed and meant that he's not playing like that, or that they're not doing it as well as they were before. But either way, they're bad signs going forward. And it is the fact that they had a couple of good results. You know, I think the draw away um, at Newcastle was a good performance. It was I, I watched that and thought, there you go, that's a bit more David Moyes. But then to not follow it up, you know, we've just talked about Bournemouth following up performances back, back to back. That's the worry for him. Because as you say, Hugh, they've spent a lot of money now and they've got a pretty, pretty good squad. Mm. They'd lost one and seven before that game. Yeah. Like they've had a really weird season because of cup games. And there were a couple of cup games in that as well because of the European run. There's, sometimes he's been able to reference like, I, I don't know how many games they've, They've but, lost in a massive. I think it was one one period where it was like they lost one in sixteen. Yeah, Nathan like, Jones won a few cup games as well. <laughs> but it's not, you know, it's just unfortunately yeah. for him, it's not, uh, it's not been replicated in the Premier League consistently enough. And you can't keep saying we're, you know, they've they've got their squads got the quality. They're good enough. They're good enough. They're not. They're not showing it. They're not. They're not clinical in fr- enough in front of goal. They're not scoring enough goals ever. So. Uh, as was said about Everton and Leeds, that's going to be that's going to mean that it's going to be very hard for them to pull away. See the the thing that struck me is in the last week they played two London derbies, and they drew against Chelsea, which was deemed a decent result, and then they've lost at Spurs. But in both of them games, they were quite passive in the way they played. They never it never felt derby a London derby big games. Obviously Chelsea, Tottenham, they're big games for for West Ham. It never felt like that. I can't quite get the Danny Ings of bringing him in and not utilising him more. I mean, I think seeing him on the bench is a bit of a weird thing. Um, I'm never quite sure if Antonio is a winger or a centre-forward. And every time I, I see him as a winger, I think, no, nah, he's probably better inside. And then I see him as a centre-forward, I think, no, nah, he's better off going back on the wing. He confuses me as a player because he's got some real great attributes as, as a footballer. And I, I just sometimes think, and David Moyes doesn't like doing this, but thinking of going just get him alongside Danny Ings or just have a physical presence up there. Bowen is always a bit of a live wire. I thought he was one of the, the positives of the game yesterday for West Ham in forward areas. Ben Rama goes from in and out of the team all the time. It's He's in, he's out, he's in, well, he's well, out. Uh, this is the thing. In terms of creativity, you look at the bench, you think you've got Manuel Lanzini, you've got Pablo Fernals, you've got yeah. Saeed Ben Rama, and you've decided to play five defenders I know you're away from home I know you've got Harry Kane to deal with and Richarlison and Son off the bench I, I get it but you know you need goals you, you you know and ultimately these are players that have shown they can create chances at this level I mean I know players are coming back from injury or they haven't had great form but you know it, it the eleven does not look creative you've got Flynn Down starting you've got Suchek starting you've got Declan Rice starting you think where is the creativity going to come from, you know, for the likes of Bowen or Antonio to finish off? It, for me, was a bit weird, you know, but there you go. The, the problem is, and 
you know, I make make the joke about there's only one Sean Dyche. Martin Samuel made a far more eloquent joke and uh, with far more words in the Times a few weeks ago when he said, if, if West Ham uh, sack David Moyes, the only problem is they want to replace him with David Moyes in the same way that they're kind of in a similar position to when Moyes came back in. So I wonder whether, I mean, does anyone think he should should be sacked with where they are? No, I, no. I, I still think they will somehow get over the line. Um, which is a strange thing to say because they've had a very good, you know, he's had a really good season last year. And, you know, we're looking, I thought the, you know, Paqueta coming in, Skamaka, you know, an element of new, a bit of a change in, in certain positions. And it hasn't really worked because that for whatever reason, they've either been injured or just been slightly off form. It's And players who were there, Bowen's not had the same season as last year. You know, he, he was terrific for them last year, got a huge amount of goals. So there's been a lot of little things, but I do think that, the passive side that will frustrate and anger West Ham fans has crept in slightly in recent weeks, which I don't. I, I really think David Moyes will have to confront that. I, I, there's a lack of energy there. There is a lack of energy there. I looked at Declan Rice. I thought, is this the player that's going to be? You know, we're talking eighty, ninety million in the summer. Absolutely not. Losing the ball cheaply. You know, just not what we've seen from him. The energy to get around the pitch, just not there. I think there's been. He's been overplayed. There's no overemphasis. He hasn't on him. played particularly well. I mean, he had a he fantastic World, yeah, World he, Cup. He, he and hasn't he, played particularly well. No. But there is certainly, like I say, I, you look at it and you think, well, he's not become a bad player overnight. I think he's no. a great player. There just seems to be a lack of energy there. Right. I saw that in Van Dyke before he left Southampton to go to Liverpool. His performances dropped quite suddenly, and then suddenly he went to Liverpool and was outstanding again. And I, I see a little bit of that with Declan Rice. What, I head think. turned? Um, well, players do get affected. And you can you can carry a team for so long, and then he might look around and think, "Well, hold it, one of you, t- it's your turn this week. Can someone help me out?" Or because he's he, Suchek's partner has not been a certain starter, has he, mm. all season? So there's been a little bit of change uh, at the London Stadium. Just wanted to say it's they lost three and fifteen, <laughs> not one and sixteen, uh, between like late August and late October. Okay. Which you know what I mean? That's like oh. that seems like a good run of form, and they have had these little. Mini buffs. revivals, yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised to see actually, like much like Moise's first period, I think, where he kind of keeps them up and then they they usher them out the door in the summer. Right, very quickly before we go, just a couple of games uh, to mention. They involve teams fighting for a place in the top four. Manchester United still fighting for a place in the top four, <laughs> and Newcastle United. Um, Rashford, just Tony, just a quick word on him. Still on fire. Two goals in Man United's 3-0 win over Leicester. We've had people talking about him being, you know, the best player in the Premier League so far this season. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I, I know, look, we could all sit here and talk. I can't think of a player that's had a turnaround in his career as big as Rashford's. It's been extraordinary. You know, this guy couldn't hit a barn door. His performance levels, he had injuries. There was clearly problems off the field. There was personal issues that he'd sort of alluded to. I think the biggest thing for me, he looks incredibly fit and in great nick. He just looks... I mean, his goal on the weekend, his first one, as soon as he got it on his right foot, never even a second thought of pinging it, and he hits the bottom corner. Rashford would have blasted that over not so long ago, or, you know, miscued it wide of the post. Mm. His performance levels have just been... From the outside, it's one of the biggest redemptions I've seen in a football career. I don't know about you guys, but... It's been amazing. I agree, and I agree. I think it's a lot of it is down to his. He looks so much more powerful. 
He looks like he's in the best shape he's ever been and he looks like an unbelievable athlete. And Do you love his game, Greg again? Do you feel like a loss of love had crept into his game where now he's loving being on the football pitch and the fans are embracing him, he's just buying into it? I do think a lot of Manchester United fans felt it was inevitable Rashford would dip in form because they felt he'd been poorly coached for a number yeah. of years. You know, I think a lot of Manchester United fans didn't rate the coaching of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer it was kind of like well Marcus is quick we'll play on the counter attack but that didn't help the development of his game all round obviously and then you had Ralph Rannick come in again I don't think people thought that he was going to take a leap there so whatever Eric Ten Hag has done it's clearly helping Marcus Rashford and and I, I like the fact that Ten Hag often says well you know, he didn't play exactly how I wanted him to, even though he scored a goal. You know, I know you're asking me questions about him, but there are other aspects of the game that I'm asking him to do that we I'm not quite seeing as yet. So it, it's good in that way that you see the manager has a plan for his all-round development. Um, but yeah, look, he's coming into his own physically, you know, in terms of peak years, speed, power, and that is paying dividends as well that's a good point there's, there's part though. of me I, thinks it's a purple patch as well but anyway go that's on that's a good point how many <laughs> how many players how many how many times have we sat in here and said you know, how many players have flourished at Manchester United in recent years that goes for a player who comes through the academy just as well you know so mm. um, it's been a difficult place to play for a long time and that's changing and I think he's he's benefited from from Ten Hag's uh, arrival as well very finally because Manchester United have a big game next weekend we'll look ahead to in the Carabao Cup final the big question of the weekend really is what on earth was Nick Pope doing? Um, <laughs> out of the EFL Cup final, Newcastle out of the top four after a 2-0 defeat at home to Liverpool. Enter Loris Carrius because he is likely to play in that Carabao Cup final uh, because Martin Dubravka went on loan to Manchester United earlier on in the season and he is cup-tied. Having played in the Carabao Cup for, you know, for Manchester United, it means he won't appear so that is that is. I mean, it's firstly, a mad story. It's a, it, <laughs> it's it, it, is, it is a mad story. It is a mad story. But Nick Pope, what are you what are you thinking? Well, Nick um, Nick Pope had a, a carrier <laughs> in the Champions League final. He did on the the weekend. He, he pulled the ultimate. Uh, you know, he's literally. It felt so harsh that he's missing so much. But obviously, the game went away from them the moment it happened. But. Um, he just completely mistimed it all, didn't he? He sort of got himself in a pickle with his feet and didn't quite know what to do in that moment. Ended up collapsing on the ball and then thinking, I'll just grab it because he's going to score. Um, yeah, he's misread yeah. it. But for, for Carrius, I mean, the guy's gone missing. He's been Lord Lucan for three years, hasn't he, really? <laughs> and then suddenly he's thrown in the deep end. He's going to reappear in the Carabao Cup final. I just hope he has a great game. I, 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 I can't imagine. Listen, I kind of do as well. Like, I'm a Manchester United fan, but I remember tweeting after that Champions League final, I hope Loris Carrius has the right people around him because that could well be you know, the biggest game of his career and that could well be how he's remembered. And I still think that is how he's seen you know, in world football, that calamitous mm. final that he had. And that was a season where Liverpool, clearly, by getting to the Champions League final, started to really build something special. And he wasn't even that bad, but I think that game in particular was the game that the Liverpool board and, and Jurgen Klopp went, we need to go out and get ourselves a real top-level goalkeeper. And they brought in Alisson, and, and we all know how the fortunes changed after that. But, you know, Loris Carrius, by helping Newcastle win their first domestic trophy since 1955, having the game of his life, would just be... <laughs> would honestly just be the perfect end for this story, so that maybe football fans here 
would remember him just slightly differently, and I think that would be incredible for him. Can I ask do, one quick do, do question? Do think it's harsh on Pope? What? Like, do, the, the, the rules. I know the rules are the rules. Like, oh, what, the, what Gary Lineker... I mean, we've mentioned Match of the Day so many times. This podcast is going to be called Game of the Day. <laughs> um, but I think Gary Lineker had a point, because he said Joelinton was one booking away yeah. from being suspended. But had he got booked, he would have only missed Premier League games. But, Martin but, Samuel made a point the, and the, 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 that's yeah. about game in the system. You could try and get the booking at the right time as opposed to someone no one's gonna get sent off on purpose. Yeah. You know, you could try and get it ahead of a, a Tim Pot EFL Cup game. Yeah. But ultimately, I don't see how suspensions should not be for the same competition. That's what it comes back to for me. If he's suspended, he should be suspended for the Premier League. Yeah. Fair valid point. Like yeah. uh, so I, I feel I feel very sorry for him. I mean it was just, it was a absolute you know calamitous, thunderheaded moment. I don't know why he didn't go with his feet. But I feel very, very sorry for him. Can anyone ask, does anyone know how Karius has done in his period of being away for, what, two and a half, three years? Well, he has been a backup goalkeeper Besiktas. primarily. He went to Besiktas on loan for a couple of years. Didn't work out. 55, <laughs> 55 league games, so it's not too bad. He was yeah, obviously playing. But he spent the last season at, at Union Berlin on loan. Uh, well, that was 2020 to 21. Only played four games. Hasn't played yet, obviously, for Newcastle. So it hasn't been going great for him. Um, according to his social media, he's got in the gym got loads more tattoos, got himself an incredible looking partner and he's living the life. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, he's on holiday all the time. So he has got good people around him. Oh, too, too. The guy's living the dream, but in terms of his football, hasn't quite worked out. So there you go, swings and roundabouts. Uh, <laughs> and maybe, who knows, he'll get an incredible... The life uh, of a third choice goalkeeper in the Premier League ain't bad, is it? Uh, listen, this is a, a documentary that I keep wanting to make. Like, <laughs> journeyman, third choice goalkeepers in modern football many of them are getting paid to basically go to training in case of an emergency, living the life, going on tours, going to Champions League finals. Andy Lonergan, you're my boy for that. That's incredible. He was the second goalkeeper on the bench for the Champions League final. I mean, you're definitely not getting on, are you? So, um, look, let's hope Loris Karius has a great final. Let's hope it is a great final, and we'll look ahead to that, as well as looking at the Champions League games when we see you on Thursday. So thank you for being with me, gentlemen. Had a great time with you once again, so thank you very much. Remember, uh, you can subscribe to the game right now. Go online, check it out, thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. You will get all of those great articles if you download the Times app and subscribe there as well. And, of course, each and every Monday, make sure you pick up a paper. All right? Just make sure you do it. Absolutely fantastic stuff. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening.